helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 Weekdays on Vision Christian Radio. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Now listen carefully. This is that climactic point in the sermon. And when Daniel shows up, he indicts Belshazzar. And welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And we're wrapping up our series in Daniel today as Pastor Jeff finishes the message, Yes and Amen. It's about the three ways we try to avoid thinking about our mortality. And we find them all in the book of Daniel. The rulers of the day were desperate to find meaning and significance in anything other than God, in romance or in making themselves appear more significant than anyone else, or in empty religious ritual. The indictment that Daniel is about to place upon Belshazzar is the successful way in which a culture can deal with death and meaninglessness and hopelessness. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're in Daniel chapter 5. So in Daniel, as the Babylonian army has been defeated and the Medes and the Persians are at the gate, How is Belshazzar dealing with death? He brings in the concubines, the romantic solution. He brings in the trophies, the conquest and creativity, the creative solution. And then he does a third thing, which is what every culture ultimately develops, the religious solution. This is what modern cultures have done. So what we do, even though we don't believe that there is eternality, or at least are suspicious concerning it, we want to make sure just in case there is, that we'll be okay. So we invent our own religion and our own God. We create God in our own image and it's uncanny. He happens to like all the things I like and hate all the things I hate. And then we come up with religious rituals to perform that we think binds the God that we have created in our own image to give us merit. So just in case there is eternity, we'll be okay. So we define what is good and we define what is bad. And we don't stop to think just for a moment that if there's no objective point of reference, there is no good or bad. And your good is just as good as my good and your bad just as bad as my bad. And anybody can disagree and they can still have their own system of good and bad, which is the, epitomizes our culture. So the gods of the modern world assist us in our attempt to drown out the noise of death with religious efforts so that we do good as we define good and we avoid the bad that we define as bad so that death, when he's knocking at the door, we can say, well, at least I'm good. At least I'm, I'm gonna last. Whatever's next, I don't know what it is, but it will surely include me. And when you challenge their worldview, if you ever wonder why people get so angry when you talk about religion, here's why. You're not just attacking a worldview, you're attacking their identity their hope, their security, everything they believe about what is next. In order for them to go with you, do you know what they have to do? Undo everything that they've believed in, which is to die to their own identity and begin a new one. And for some people, they've far too much invested. And every time you disagree with them, rather than contemplate their wrongness, rather than have honest debate, the idea is I will snuff out your voice I will do whatever I can to silence you because I've invested far too much in my identity to let it go now. 
Becker, in his introduction, says how easily religious people will shed blood to purchase assurance of their own righteousness. Our need to deny our nakedness and be arrayed in glory will keep us from acknowledging that our emperors have no clothes. We get angry because our identity. And I keep thinking about the God of this age has blinded the mind and the eyes of the unbelievers. Man, it's powerful stuff. Becker is saying the same thing that Daniel's trying to teach us, that the closer to death you get, the more frantic you're going to dive in deeper to the romantic solution, the creative solution, the religious solution. We call it midlife crisis, but when men leave their wives, try to find another one, when they go and try to make themselves a name in the marketplace or in some athletic event, or when they turn religious all of a sudden, the drums are beating louder. I've got to do something because my mortality is as present as it's ever been. And so the story of mankind, Baker says, modern man is drinking and drugging himself out of awareness or spending time shopping. Oh, mm. which is the same thing as modern man's need for heroic dedication has provided less and less by a culture that disbelieves in any moral, spiritual, or social heroism, that same society finds ways to contrive to help him to forget. This is a picture of the modern world and a pluralistic society. Now, thank God, in comes the great party crasher, Daniel. And suddenly, as Belshazzar is trying to deafen the drums of death, a hand begins to write on the wall. And the Bible says the king watched as the hand wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Wow. Purple clothes, royalty, gold chain, Wealth, third highest in the kingdom, but they couldn't read the words and they couldn't translate. You know, if you're translating from one language into the next, if you don't even know the first language, that's going to make it incredibly difficult. So what do they do? When the professionals can't help, they call in Daniel. And when Daniel shows up, he indicts Belshazzar. He says, you've been placed on the scales and found wanting. Now listen carefully. This is that climactic point in the sermon. If the party is a reflection of man's way of dealing with impending doom, dealing with death, by the romantic solution, the creative solution, the religious solution, then the indictment that Daniel is about to give or place upon Belshazzar is the successful way in which a culture can deal with death and meaninglessness and hopelessness other than drinking, shopping, romanticizing, and earning merits through religious activity. So the question is, how do we cope then? And here's this powerful message in Daniel 5. Number one, you've got to hear the word of God. You've got to hear from the voice of God. Otherwise, everything is just guesswork. And it's pretty important to know the mind of God. Look at verse 17. Daniel answered the king, Keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. I think part of me says, Daniel, dude, you know you're going to do it. So keep the loot. 
Remember what the promise was? Whoever reads this writing tells me what it means. We'll be clothed in purple, a gold chain around his neck. He'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why does Daniel turn the king down? He could take all this and just give it back to Israel, but he doesn't. And the reason is because Daniel is trying to make a statement. He's saying, king, the reason I don't want a reward is because I don't want you to think for a second, this is human wisdom. I don't want you to think for a moment, this is the product of my research, my insight, and my analysis. This has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. I'm about to give you propositional revelation from God. This is the word of God. Now, let's just stop there just for a moment. Belshazzar is really no different than we are. What happens when something happens that none of us can explain? Columbine, shootings, school shootings. Something happens. We just can't fathom what's going on. What do we do? Call in the experts, right? The PhDs, the social theorists. Have you ever been watching the news and someone's trying to explain something that happened and you sit there and listen and you say, how could someone so smart be so stupid? And the problem is they can't read the handwriting on the wall because they're not thinking in terms outside of a locked system. There's nothing. There's no answer. If there's no objective point of reference there, again, there's no reason to do good, do bad, define good, to define bad. And when God is locked out, you're not going to be able to give an explanation for some of the most atrocious events in humanity. They know this. Belshazzar calls his own PhDs, his socialists. And basically they can't read the writing on the walls, which means they can't interpret it or translate it. So Daniel comes along and basically says this, you don't need a wise man. You need a wise God. If you want to find the answers to ultimate meaning, ultimate purpose, ultimate significance, you're going to have to go to the ultimate one who defines it all. Mystical meditations won't tell you anything. Existentialism won't do it. Religious law keeping is not going to help you. You need the objective word of God. So in any culture, the first question is, God, has he spoken? And can I hear him? Look, I, look, I know. I, I'll, we stand up and we talk about how clear it is in our world that if you're going to ask the question, does God exist? We'll talk about how the evidence points clearly to the existence of God. It may not be 100% because you can't know anything, I believe, to that kind of percentage, that kind of degree. But you can't ask the question, where does the evidence point? The evidence seems to point here. But it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing entirely to believe that God has revealed himself in the man, Jesus Christ. That's a whole new field. And what the Bible tells you, the reason it's still the number one book of humanity, God's revelation to you to tell you what God is like. And so in John 1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God revealed Himself in history through His Son, through the objective historical events of the past that would change everything in the future. If God doesn't reveal Himself, it's all guesswork. It's all guesswork. But if He has, then you and I can look in the face of Jesus Christ and His life and His words and know this is the appropriate way to deal with death. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And Pastor Jeff is about to wrap up this message about Daniel and his example of seeking true significance in the eyes of God, rather than searching for answers in idols, including ourselves. Are we prepared to seek God as revealed in Jesus? Let's get back to Pastor Jeff as he finishes. 
If that's true, Jeff, if it's possible for all of us to find to hear the revelation of God, why does, why does so many reject it? Now, what is the running theme? This is important. What is the running theme through the book of Daniel? You can really summarize it in Daniel 5, 18 through 21. When Daniel says, King Belshazzar, dude, now that's a loose translation. Dude, what is wrong with you? You have no excuse because you should have learned from Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody, know, all the Babylonians know the history of Nebuchadnezzar. He goes out walking on the top of his palace and he thinks, look at what I have built with my own two hands. Next thing you know, he's eating grass like a cow in the wilderness and struggling with insanity. Belshazzar, you knew that King Nebuchadnezzar to some degree had met the God of the Hebrews, that there is one God sovereign. He gives the kingdoms of men to whoever he pleases. But you have not learned that the appropriate way to deal with death it's not through the romantic solution, the creative solution, or the religious solution. It is to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven and everything you have and everything you are comes from him and one day you will return. Why do you think Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted, he who exalts himself will be humbled? This is, what the, this is what we have to help people see in a loving way. If you hope to meet God and to deal with death, you have to start all over. All the presuppositions you've had from mommy and daddy and culture, all those things, you've got to be born again, which is why your faith can never be the faith of your parents. It has to be your own. You have to lay everything down. You have to admit the idols in your life. You have to stop using sacred things in a profane fashion. You say, well, I don't do that. Really? Remember what happens in the story? They take the golden goblets. They drink wine from God's goblets, the sacred elements. They take what is sacred and commit sacrilege. They take something holy and pure and use it in an unholy and impure fashion. You say, I would never do that. Really? When we worship sex, romance, creativity, and religion, as if somehow those things could save us, then those things have become our real gods. You know that you violated the sacred when you choose to pursue the gifts of God over and above God himself for your ultimate salvation. When those things become more important to you than the word of God, you know you've created God in your own image and that you're violating the sacred. See, people get us wrong all the time. And I have to be careful how I say this, but you know, take something like sex and romance. It's a gift of God. It's a, gift of, it's a beautiful thing. And some of you young people are saying, well, you're 55. How can you know? Let me tell you, you don't know. <laughs> You don't know what happens in a commitment of marriage when two people are committed to each other. What happens over time? You got no idea. You think what you're doing now is romanticism and sex. It ain't. Wait, you've been married 30 years. Come back, talk to me. <laughs> the point is God has given these gifts and you know you are walking with him when you enjoy them within the godly parameters. When they don't become your God, but you enjoy them in the context of your greatest passion, for God. But folks, do you know what the most aggressive violation of the sacred is? Religion. Religion says, I can give God a good record, then I am owed a good life. Christianity says, God has given me a perfect record in Jesus Christ, and I live with grateful knowledge that he is with me and has made me significant forever. Those are two totally different things. Do you see? Religion that we come up with takes what is sacred, grace, and the atonement and cheapens it and profanes it as if salvation can be earned. And as it turns out, the way most of us cope with the reality of death turns out to be a profane practice that uses the gifts of God in a way they were never designed to be used. 
In other words, our lives are nothing less than attempting to fulfill legitimate desires by illegitimate means. This is the message we got to give to the world, to everyone. And as we do it, guess what it's going to mean? It's going to mean that we're going to have to encourage people to untie their identity from the posts of things that can never deliver ultimate things. And that's going to be hard for them because that means they're going to have to turn their back on culture and tradition and even family. And we encourage them to look now at the revelation of God. Daniel says, the God of heaven is a God of revelation. He's a God who writes on the walls of your life and on the universe. And this brings us to the end then. How do you and I communicate that message without being just rude and offensive? How do we communicate that? Earl Ellis, this is a commentary on uh, this passage in Daniel. The lordship of Satan and of death yields to the inbreaking powers of the new age. Yet, just as King Belshazzar's guests continue to feast unaware that his kingdom had fallen and his doom had been sealed, so the present age is unaware that Satan's reign is broken. It cannot read what has been written. For Luke tells us that the mission of the church is to make the kingdom visible through feeding the hungry, through changed lives, through the preaching of grace, which is now the writing on the wall. We Christians must explain the handwriting on the wall of culture. How do we do that? You only do it when your life becomes legible. When I can read you and what I see is distinction. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go out. I want you to preach grace. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to cast out the demons. They obey Jesus and they come back and they're surprised that it worked. And they said, wow, this is amazing. In the name of Jesus, lives are transformed. People are being fed. They're clothed. They're liberated. People under the influence of idols are freed. And then in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, guys, now again, loose translation, guys, I want you to know that when I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, finger of God, where else did you hear that? Daniel 5, the finger of God, you know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's Jesus' way of saying that in the, New, in the Old Testament, God wrote on the wall. In the New Testament, God's way of writing on the wall is his people. They become so legible that the message is clear. Jesus says, I'm going to create a community where lives are changed, where people are no longer subject to insignificance, meaninglessness, hopelessness. They're not trampling on each other to try to get to the top. They're encouraging each other. They're not pushing each other down. They're lifting each other up. And only when my people become the vessels of the revelation of the word of God will the people of the world listen to them. The ultimate question, is your life legible? Can it easily be read? See, if you're, going, if, you're, if you're marching to the beat of every drum that everyone else listens to, then no. Our king is different than the kings of the cultures. Our king gave up his glory. So should you. Our king gave up his right to glory. So should you. On the cross, our king became incredibly insignificant, so insignificant that the father turned his face away so that you and I would gain our significance for eternity. You know your life is legible. You say, well, you're asking right now, well, how do I know? Is my life, I don't know if my life, well, let me help you. Here's how you know. 
First, sex, romance, creativity, accomplishment, all those things have their appropriate places in your life. You're still involved in all of them, but they are not meant to save you and you know it. You're still going out and working hard. I mean, come on, trying to achieve. We all do that. You're still in romance, good thing, but it's not your God. And the second thing is, if your life is legible, you know that your, big, your greatest enemy every day of your life is pride. To get up and think, look at what I have done. Look at what I have accomplished. And if that's how you live, if you truly think that everything you have is yours and that your whole life is about building your kingdom, your life is illegible because it looks like everybody else. But if you want your life to be legible, then you become like Jesus, who is incredibly legible. And you enjoy the gifts of God, but you don't worship them. And you use everything you have for the glory of God. Not only, but primarily for the glory of God. I mean, you got to make money to eat and live. And I, I mean, I got that. But primarily your passion is the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. <coughs> now, can I stop here? It's kind of the end of the sermon, but can I just stop here and say something? I am so proud of you. Do you know how blessed I feel to be the pastor here? You, you got no idea. I mean, yes, I have been through sleepless nights and yes, it's been a hard journey, but this is the, do you know how pleased and happy? You know what a privilege it is? Because last year during our Yes Initiative, I gave you a challenge and boy, you decided you're going to deliver. I am amazed at the amount of people in this church who are so generous and who are so sacrificial. I have no other explanation of it other than the handwriting of God on their lives. Their lives are legible. We talked about having a care center. There it is. Talked about having West Covina. Man, it launched and it's going gangbusters. We talked about having a, a, a children and youth center out at Rancho to reach the 2.2 children that every family has. Again, I don't know what the 0.2 child looks like, but they're there. We talked about getting involved to save it. We can't save all of the slums in the world, but we can save the one God sent us. I am amazed. I am amazed at how many of you stood up and said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And because of that, our church is becoming legible. Because we as individuals are legible, our church is legible. And people come up to me, you're Pastor Jeff. Yes, I am. I love, I love your church. Why? Well, we needed a funeral and it was going to cost us so much and we came to you and you guys did it for free. Oh, when I hear stuff like that, I'm so proud of us. I needed this and, and we went to this and it was going to cost so much, and, but, but you got life coaches and counselors and then you got the cares. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is, I'm living the dream. We're all living the dream that we get to be involved in the kingdom of God and make a huge impact for all eternity. They said that the Romans shared their bed with everyone and their tables with no one, but it was written about the Christians. They share their tables with everyone and their beds with no one. I'm so proud of you guys. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your kindness. And I, when I think about what's been accomplished over the last 12 months, it's, it's truly amazing. But we don't want to make the mistake of a Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar and start to think that it's because of our own greatness. We know that anything that we do give, any way that we serve, is simply giving back to you what is ultimately yours anyway. It all belongs to you. And you've entrusted us with these resources to be able to make a mark on our world, that our lives might be legible, that this church might be legible, that people would know the way you deal with death is to believe in a kingdom 
that is eternal and a God who has revealed himself to the person of Jesus Christ, who when I take as my Savior, I no longer need to earn significance and meaning. It's given to me as a gift for all eternity. My prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. That's the end of Yes and Amen. Join us again next time for more from Pastor Jeff. We'll look forward to hearing a new message. Today with Jeff Bynes, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.